everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. The drama that I have chosen to chat about with you all today is called The Crowned Clown. So this is a historical drama, so a saguk, and it is only 16 episodes, which is nice and short, and it is from 2019. Um, so The Crowned Clown is, I, I guess it's a fairly serious drama. Um, it's set in the palace, so, you know, the main characters are kings and queens and courtiers that it's that kind of a saguk there's obviously a lot of political plotting and things um but it, there's an element of sort of fantasy to it i don't mean fantasy in terms of supernatural or that kind of thing but you know the main character has a doppelganger and that is a level of unreality so it's not like it's a fully fully gritty dark saguk um in that way but but there is a bit of grit to it as well so the reason that I was really interested, um, the, the Crown Clown has been on my list since forever, but for some reason I had my huge dry spell where I didn't watch any historical dramas for months and months. Really weird <laughs> now in hindsight. Um, and this was the second drama that I picked up after kind of delving back into historicals and deciding that, you know, I'm always going to try and watch at least one show that's historical from now on. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um and the reason that I was interested in the show, and I have been since I first heard about it when it first came out, was because of the time period that it set in. Um, anyone who's listened to my show before knows that I'm a big fan of Joseon history. I find it really, really interesting. And I love reading about it. I do a lot of research into it. But also, I love watching dramas um, to kind of fill in those gaps. And I know that dramas might not always be historically accurate, but I do really like to see kind of the time periods rendered on screen. And I think because I do write my fiction that is set in Joseon times, it's so good and helpful just to see the clothes and the food people eat, the way people talk and just all that kind of stuff, the streets, the towns. It's very, very cool for me. Um, but this one was an interesting one. I, I particularly wanted to watch it because it is set in, you know, during a real time in history. And the main character, or sort of the main character, is um, Crown Prince uh, Gwanghae, who, you know, becomes king. So this drama is set... Uh, when he becomes king of Joseon. So he's a real guy. He was a real king. Um, the reason that I'm interested, I suppose, is because I am gearing up to write a book set during the Imjin War, which is the late 1500s. And this drama is set just after the Imjin War. So the crown prince, who was crown prince during the war, has now just become king, and it's about him. Um, 
So it's set very squarely in a real time period. One of the main characters is a real person. And some of the events in the show are very, you know, relate to history. But then I also feel like it deviates a little bit as well at the end. So the ending is like, is a alternate history, I suppose, um, in which I guess this is a big spoiler for the ending. Here you go. Um, you know, he ab- abdicates. Abdic- abdicates? However you say that word. He leaves the bloody throne behind. He walks off into the countryside, um, which is not something that really happened to this king. He got, you know, usurped in a coop and he got banished to, I think, Jeju Island for the rest of his life where he died. So, yeah, it's not true to history. And that's not a bad thing. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting so stuck on it. It's totally fine if shows deviate from what really happened. I just think it's really interesting, I suppose, that it's not all a fantasy. Like, why pick a real king and use some of the real politics of the time and some of the real history, but then change the ending? It's just, you know, I just wonder why not just make it all up? Hmm, why not, you know, make up the king? Anyway, it doesn't really matter. It's just uh, sort of interesting, but that's probably a very boring waffle for you all. (laughs) All right, so the actors in this show is Yo Jin Gu. So he is definitely the lead of this drama. Um, Yo Jin Gu is, he's, you know, I have such a funny thing with him. I think he's such a good actor. He's really amazing, but I just like never super, super love him, but not because of anything I think to do with him. It's, I don't think he's bad. I think he's really good. I think he's an amazing actor. I just don't, like follow him around drama land. I don't watch a drama because he's in it. Um, he's just not a favorite of mine, but I, I couldn't even put my finger on why. Um, so he's the lead in this. And then also uh, the actress uh, Lee Se-yong is in this as well. And I really, really like Lee Se-yong a lot. I think she's lovely and I do follow her around K-drama land um, a bit. So that was another reason that I really did want to pick up this show. Um, So I guess what I'll do now is tell you guys a little bit of the setup of The Crowned Clown. Okay, so I feel like I should have said in my little overview section just then (laughs) um, my overall feelings about this show, which I kind of neglected to mention um, because I got very caught up in the history, as I often do. Um, I really liked most of this show. So for me, the first half was awesome. Like it was exciting. It was twisty. It was good. It was emotional. I was into it. It also looks amazing. Um, really amazing atmosphere to this show that I think is really, really good. Um, and I really liked the characters, but there was this thing that happened, um, about maybe just over halfway that really threw me off and made me feel really weird. And I felt really complicated about the show after that. And I think it kind of destroyed a little bit of my love for the show. And I don't think it's anything to do with the show being bad or the quality of it. Um, It was just such a personal reaction I had to a storyline twist that I guess upset me and made me kind of reframed how I felt about the characters afterwards that I was less invested in following through on their story. So that's really weird. So I have a lot of things about the show that I absolutely loved, but I do have some things I want to discuss, which were the things that I didn't love so much. Um, But again, you know, such a personal reaction to this one. Um, And I don't think any of the things that um, 
I'm definitely about to complain about <laughs> are things to do with the actual quality. They're just my you know, real personal reaction to a thing, a thing that I did not like. All right. So before I get onto that, though, I just wanted to talk about the setup. So basically, the king of Joseon, um, and this is in the early 1600s, I don't know, 1620 or something, I can't remember, is this guy called Ihon. Um, so the king, anyway. So he's also played by Yo Jin-gu, the actor. Uh, so this king of Joseon is a very young man, and he clearly is going a bit fucking insane. <laughs> But he didn't used to be. And this is what's quite interesting, I think, about this character is that, you know, the drama opens with this unbelievably cool atmospheric dark sequence, which is basically this king when he was still a crown prince kneeling at his father's deathbed and his father is played by a really interesting cameo by Jung Hyuk, um, who basically just tells him, you know, his dad is like, I fucking hate you. <laughs> just go die. I wish you weren't going to be the king. You're just going to be shit at it. He's so mean and the king is dying, but he really wants um, this, like his youngest son to become, to, to become the next king and be on the throne. But politically he hasn't managed to do that because during the war he had to name a crown prince and he decided to throw this, this one particular son that he hates under the bus and hoped he would die at war. But you know, this guy didn't. And so now he's going to be the king. So it's a very complicated like politics behind this scene, but I thought it was so dark and emotional. And just to begin the drama with this young man whose father has just is hates him his whole life he has been hated by his father and yet he's still risen to this unbelievably powerful position and then his father dies and he is free um it's it's such a intense scene i loved it actually i loved the opening um, the way this drama is shot is this very like gothic, moody, dark, like everything's in shadow with like, you know, flames and lanterns and flickering lights and um, very, very moody stuff. And um, the music is also really, really good. I think that they, you know, it's all like a lot of orchestral kind of stuff, but it's very like, you know, these pounding drums and like, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, traditional music as such, but it, it just has like a little bit more, you know, it's not a K-pop ballad, I guess I'm trying to say. It sounds a little bit more um, history authentic, I suppose, but not really because it's orchestral, but really atmospheric. So very cool. Um, so this young guy, this prince, um, you know, he rises up and he does become the king. And this is the true part of history that, you know, is real. Um, when he becomes king, obviously his younger brother is still alive. And this boy is, I don't know, he's like eight, he's 10, he's 12. I don't know. He's tiny and he's cute. Um, but of course, you know, having two princes, you know, one's the king now, but the younger brother isn't dead, which means that immediately because of all the political infighting in the court in Joseon, you have all these different factions that are trying to win power against each other. And the best way to win power is to stand behind the king. So everyone who isn't already standing behind the man who has just become king obviously all rushes over to this little boy and starts politically maneuvering him into, you know, they want to make him a puppet king, basically, so they can hold on to their power. Um, and so the new king, who's this very young man, is forced, 
I guess I want to say forced (laughs) to make a decision. But basically, he executes his younger brother. So he exiles him first and then this little boy dies. And I don't know what the truth is because I've seen two, at this point, two different drama sort of renderings of this situation. And in one of the events, you know, in this drama, he's poisoned. In the other drama, he was like fucking suffocated in a little house. It's all very gross. Like this is a tiny child. But this is... This is a true history, you know, like, I guess every king wants to have multiple sons because back then everyone was dropping like flies and dying all the time and you need to have a son to take over. But if you have more than one son who reaches adulthood and is strong and healthy, then there's going to be killing. Which is why, of course, in history, in every single country around the world that had a monarchy, you know, you have more than one son, they all murder each other. It's Pretty shit, but it's true. And I think it's a really interesting thing because this king, King Guanghei, you know, I guess was considered to be, in hindsight, quite a good king. I think politically he did quite well and he did some like good reforms and he dealt with a very, very precarious, I guess, like international relation sort of situation between Joseon and Ming and these Jerkin tribes that were coming down and attacking. And he really managed to maintain peace during his reign. And the second he was usurped and he's like, I don't know, it was like his uncle or something took over, you know, the whole thing fell apart and there was war again. So in hindsight, I guess he probably did a pretty good job, but there's this one massive blemish on his, you know, history as king or his legacy as king in that, yes, he murdered his little brother. So it is pretty, like, it's pretty dark and it's a pretty dark place to begin the drama, I think. Um, a part of me was kind of like, oh, I wish this guy was the main character just because he's so interesting. But of course, through this murder of his little brother and getting rid of this, you know, political obstacle, basically, this little boy. Ah. Um, He makes a lot of enemies in the court, um, particularly this little boy's mother, who is the Dowager Queen, and of course is, you know, pretty upset that her small child just got murdered. And she's the main villain of the piece. And immediately I'm like, but she's not really a villain, is she? Like, she's just trying to, like, revenge against the man who killed her child. Um, But anyway, so this king, King Guanghei, is... He's tormented by what he's done, basically. And he begins, I don't know what he's smoking, but he's smoking something in a pipe and it's not good for him. And he's hallucinating and he's going a bit nuts. So I'm going to guess, I mean, I'm not going to guess. I don't know what it is. Some old timey drug or some opium like sort of substance thing. Um, But he's obviously getting manipulated by people around the court and stuff. Um, But anyway, he's going completely nuts and he's getting violent and he's making bad decisions and he's turning into like a bit of a despot kind of king. Like he's a pretty scary dude, Um, but he still has this interesting thing where he does still have a few people around him that are very loyal to him because of the man that he used to be and because of the man that they still believe he could be if he can get through this disintegration madness that he is kind of falling into. And I thought that was really interesting because, um, you know, this King Guanghe is not really the main character. He's sort of an antagonist in a lot of ways. And I kind of like that they they don't just make him pure evil. They, they give him this reason that he has descended into this state of being. 
So anyway, everyone's out to kill him. He's having a really tough time. And then meanwhile, out on the streets, there is this other dude played also by Yojin Gu called Hasan. So Hasan is a clown. So basically, you know, like he, he does um, skits and dances and acrobats. Uh, acrobatics and things like that um, for the people in the marketplaces and at gissing houses. So he's an entertainer um, and he kind of gets discovered to have the exact fucking face as the king. You know, no explanation required. We just accept that that is the case. And he gets dragged before the king and the king is like, cool, now I have a body, body double and I'm going to go head off into the wilderness and sit in a cave and like, I don't know, do some sort of shamanistic rituals and smear blood on my face and like smoke a lot of whatever it is that he's smoking. <laughs> so basically the king wants a holiday and also he doesn't want to be murdered on his throne. So he just like pisses off and leaves Hassan to like rule the country. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, this is not going to end well. Like, obviously this is a bad decision on your, on your behalf. But anyway, he does it. The king, so the king's gone. And then we're just following Hassan in the palace. So Hassan is this total sweetie. He's really nice. He's very kind. He's thoughtful. He's like a slight bit goofy, but not even too much. Like he's very quick minded and quick on his feet. So he can kind of handle everything. And one thing I loved about the idea that this guy is picked up off the street, who's, you know, very lowly commoner who has the same face as the king and is thrust into this mad situation where he has to suddenly pretend to be the king of a country and make decisions and do things. The thing that I thought was really cool is that he's an actor. Like this character, Hassan, is like a street clown and a street actor. And I think it makes so much more sense because it was so believable for me that he could copy the mannerisms and learn how to say the right things really quickly and think really quickly on his feet because he's so used to doing these skits and kind of interacting this way. He's obviously very outgoing. And I just felt it was so much more like believable than if maybe he'd been, I don't know, just like a peasant in a field or something like they just gave him these characteristics that made it so much easier for me to believe that he could just sort of melt into this role that he has to play. So Hassan is he's just a really, really nice dude. And I think the start of the drama, it's really, really fun to see him muddle his way through being king. And obviously, you know, he really fucks things up a lot and it's very funny and great. And he's kind of got, um, two minders in the palace who know that he's, you know, a faker and they're trying to keep him in line. They're kind of trying to make sure that he doesn't, you know, screw everything up. Um, and also make sure no one else finds out about him. But they're also, you know, he's kidnapped. He's there against his will and he really wants to go home. Um, so at the start, Hassan definitely doesn't want to be there. He's there because he's told that if he's not there, he's going to be murdered. But little by little, he starts to realize how dangerous the palace is. There's this um, whole, you know, scene where he he meets this young maid and kind of forms a connection with her and they're just chatting. He's just kind, you know, he's kind to everyone. Suddenly all the, you know, the palace attendants just don't even know what to do because he's nice to them and doesn't throw things at their face and like 
tell them to piss off and stuff. So he's being very kind to this young maid and she's, um, you know, brought him snacks at night and she's starving. So he gives her his food and she, of course, dies and there's blood. And it's such a wake up call to Hassan. He realizes how precarious his situation really is. And it's the point where he really, really wants to get out because in real life he has, you know, this little clownish circus troupe. He has a young sister called Dalre. Dare? Dalre? I don't know. Um, who is an actress I've seen before. I really liked her. She's very young. Um, you know, she'd be playing children roles at this point, but I can kind of see her maybe doing well in the future. I can't remember what else I've seen her in, but she's good. This is an actress called Shin Suyon. Um, so his younger sister is just, you know, very charming and he just has someone that he needs to go and protect. So I guess the big problem though, is that Hassan has come across the queen while walking around pretending to be the king. And this for me was the most interesting thing about the whole show was the idea that this queen, her name is Sowoon. So Soeun, played by the actress Lee Se-yong, is, you know, she's a perfect queen. She's very constrained. She knows all the ins and outs of the palace. She knows how to operate. Like, she's clearly very good, but she's also very isolated, very, very lonely, very homesick, and is having a lot of trouble adjusting to the palace. The thing that's interesting is, so she's already married. She's married to the king at this point. And it seems, I mean, they have this terrible relationship. So the second she meets Hassan pretending to be the king, she's very, very, you know, attacky towards him and very defensive. And it's just such an interesting thing, I suppose, because Hassan is so sweet and so kind that it keeps kind of putting her on the back foot. He keeps not doing what she expects. Um, so it's just, I don't know, like he really melts down this, tough exterior that she has this def prickly defensiveness against the king and she only has that because you know they have moments in their history between her and the real king where there was like I don't know if it's love but there's something there there, there was something real there between them but as the king has gotten older and been more and more burdened by the things he's had to do and by this murder of his little brother that he has, you know, he is responsible for, it's really broken down this relationship that he has with his wife. Um, and she, you know, she doesn't like him. She doesn't trust him. He isn't protecting her. He isn't protecting her father who is in the court as well. Um, so it's just a really interesting dynamic and I think the whole secret identity thing like when it comes to romance I think maybe it's like a favorite trope of mine I think it's so good for conflict um it kind of reminds me I watched another drama with Lee Jong Ki in it called Joseon Gunman which I loved and that's very much a secret identity drama too it's quite different to this one in that in that drama Lee Jong Ki you know he he has to go off and come back kind of like the Count of Monte Cristo style story. So he comes back and pretends to be someone else, but he meets his old love and has to pretend to his old love that it's not truly him. And that's where the conflict of that story lies, which is so like meaty and delicious, so good. Um, but in this drama, the whole thing is that Hassan 
is this kinder, softer, better, nicer version of the man that he's pretending to be. And he is just melting so wounds kind of walls that she's placed around her heart and just confusing her so much and confusing him. Like, can you imagine how Hassan would feel slowly falling in love with this woman that is not only the queen of his country and so far above him in status, but is like the wife of the king and who is, keeps threatening to murder him all the time. Like, it's just such a fantastic conflict you know that he's so nice to her he's so into her he keeps drawing her in and then having to be like holy shit like this is bad back off um so it's very confusing for her which again I really really liked but he he just he charms her he charms her very slowly and very sweetly but in this very real nice way but I have to say that probably my favorite part of the drama is when they are quite or when she kind of still hates him there's still this like leftover residue from her feelings towards the real king so she keeps sort of like you know lashing him with her tongue and getting really angry with him but then every time he'll turn around and do the right thing and surprise her and I really enjoyed that push and pull between them and I think for me when Soeun just begins to love him and he just makes goo goo eyes at her the whole time. Like it's very sweet. Their romance is very sweet. But I did kind of miss that fire and, and more the more passionate kind of bickering between them and the anger that she had, but also just watching the confusion that she was in. I just thought all that stuff was so good in this show. And I found it really, really inspiring, like in terms of writing stories and stuff like that. I really, really loved it. But I did feel like for me, the romance, it just becomes very sweet and very nice um, after this point. But I just loved this push and pull. I thought it was very, very filled with tension and I really missed it when it stopped. Um, so, I mean, the general setup is just that Hassan has to pretend to be the king. The king, you know, pisses off for his little, I don't know, shamanistic retreat with the blood in the cave. And then eventually Hassan manages to escape. But when he escapes, he goes back home and he realizes that the most fucked up thing in the entire world has happened to his beautiful little sister and this absolute disgusting, rich young man, human being, horrible, black. I hated him. Anyway, sorry. So his younger sister gets raped by a noble man which is horrific. And these scenes were so intense. But suddenly this wallop of emotion happens. This is like maybe just a few episodes in. And this thing with his little sister really changes the dynamic. It moves things into a very, very serious place. Because now once, you know, once getting Dalray out and getting her safe and sending her off with his friend, Hassan returns to the palace and now he wants to be king. He wants the power behind the throne and he wants to fuck up that richy rich family that have done this to his sister. Um, and he knows that he can't do it as a street clown. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the money. He doesn't have the means. And this is the only way for him to get what he considers to be justice for this awful, awful thing that's happened to her. Um, I really, I mean, I kind of hate anything that has this sort of stuff happen to women. I don't know why. It's like the one thing that I'm always like, oh, I hate it so much. But at the same time, it it really worked to move the show into this very dark, frightening, emotional place. And I think 
particularly in moving Hassan's character away from just being this like sunshiny clown into someone who really was understanding the stakes around his position and the danger that he's in which he already knows after seeing this maid get murdered and poisoned, but now understanding the stakes of there is only one way that he's going to bring down this family who have done this to his sister, and that's by holding on to the throne. Um, but of course, um, you know, eventually the real king comes back after like going even more crazy. He's like, he pokes a stick into his ear. This was like a part for me. I was like, this is so like dark. It's very like, oh, creepy. But also like, because he's hearing his little brother whisper to him all the time, like he literally gets a stick and pokes it around in his ear. And this monk is like, oh, don't worry. He didn't poke it in too hard. Like he's fine. (laughs) And he's fine. But you know, I don't know why he didn't scramble his brains, but whatever. Um, So he comes back, the real king comes back and he is horrified I loved all this stuff this stuff was so cool this was this was before I kind of got weirded out so the first half of this show is excellent I think it's really really good so the real king comes back to the palace and he's like this clownish clown has taken over my entire life and identity my wife seems to like me now because of you which does not make this king happy like you can imagine Um, and everyone seems to like him better now that he's been someone else. So he's furious. He orders Hassan to be murdered. He goes around trying to kill everyone, crashing things. It's terrifying. And of course, he has a night with his wife, like booked in because back in those days, because everything was done, I guess, you know, through courtly tradition ways, you had to kind of like book a, a night to sleep with your wife to hopefully have a baby and not just you know, because you're not really living together. You're living in separate palaces. Anyway, it's super weird. It's the most non-romantic thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, but of course, by this point, So Woon, his wife, is really, really in love with him and is so sweet to him and is just like, like properly into him. And he, this new, this king that's come back is so shocked and so jealous, like so destructively jealous. Um, it's very, very scary. I wasn't sure what he was going to do to her, but, you know, luckily um, he, he gets a massive headache and runs out before he can do anything really, really bad to his wife, which I was, I was quite worried about. But of course she's pretty horrified because he's been so nice lately and suddenly he's reverted back to these old violent ways. Um, and then that was the point where the show, a thing happened that I felt really weird about, which I will talk about a bit in the stuff I didn't love, but I'm going to talk about the stuff that I did love first because there really is a lot. And that's the general setup of the show. Um, It kind of, it runs on from there, but that was the stuff that I loved. I loved the early setup. I loved the push and pull of the secret identity. It was so good. And Hassan's, you know, just the precariousness of him constantly being about to be found out by ministers that will have his life or by Sohun, who he's falling in love with, even though this is not his wife. Like it's so, it's such good conflict. I really, really liked it. Okay, so here's my list of the stuff that I really, really did love about The Crowned Clown. So as I mentioned before, this very gothic, moody look to the whole show, the show looks amazing. Um, I really, really loved it. it. It just is very, very atmospheric. You know, so many night shots and just 
so moody. Um, the other thing is the music, as I mentioned, I just, I think it really, really added to that overall aesthetic and atmosphere and this very gothic feel to the whole thing that I really liked. And I felt really suited the murder and the intrigue of the story. And, you know, when you think about it, the idea of this secret identity of someone else taking over someone's life and no one around them knowing, there is a creepiness to that. Um, which I think that the atmosphere kind of kind of pushed forward. I really liked that feeling. All right, so this is where it gets interesting, and I think I'm going to start contradicting myself, which is you know probably something I do all the time, whatever. <laughs> so there is this scene about halfway through the drama, and I loved this scene, but this scene was also the cause of all my issues, like I think I had like weird ethical <laughs> quandaries about the characters after watching this scene. So even though I loved the scene, the fallout of it kind of ruined the show for me. Isn't that weird? Um, but it's true. So the scene that I'm talking about is, so Hassan as the king, he has this right-hand man minister guy called EQ. Q, like K-Y-U-Q, not like a Q. Uh, anyway, sorry. So EQ is played by an actor called Kim Sung Kyung. Um, not someone, you know, I've just seen his face, but not someone I particularly know about. Um, and he is at first the man who forces Hassan to come to the palace. And at first really feels like an enforcer who is you know, not great and is forcing Hassan to do something that he doesn't want to do that's very, very dangerous. And EQ is always screaming and yelling at Hassan, is forcing him to do things. And, you know, I guess at the start, you kind of feel like he's not a good dude. He's very, very loyal to the real king and is very, very saddened by seeing the real king disintegrating into madness. So EQ keeps going off into the hills to visit the real king and, you know, notice that he's been poking a little stick in his ear and scrambling his brains and smoking his pipe and doing all sorts of bad stuff. Um, so what happens once uh, the, the real king, Ehun, so once Ehun, the real king, turns back up at the palace and fucks everything up and tries to murder Hassan and tries to like sort of rape his wife but doesn't luckily phew um he gets this mad headache and kind of goes unconscious and so he's lying there unconscious and Hassan manages to survive and get back to the palace and Iku kind of looks at this unconscious king who is a bad dude and is fucking up the country and is making terrible decisions and is unraveling all the good work that he and Hassan have been doing together politically to make the world a better place for the people in Joseon. And EQ asks Hassan what he wants. Like, what do you want? Like, you're not being forced to be the king anymore. What do you want? And Hassan looks at the king lying there unconscious and Hassan says, I want to be the king for real. I want the power of being the king for real. And so Hassan in the drama, the idea is that he's saying this because he still hasn't managed to take down this family that did this awful thing to his sister. And he hasn't managed to, you know, enact revenge yet. But at the same time, there is this element for me that you know as a watcher that Hassan is also coveting the position of king because along with it 
comes the king's wife, Sobun, who is a woman that Hassan is completely in love with. And his intentions are noble in that he wants to protect her. And he knows that if the real king comes back as her husband, he's going to fuck her up. Like, he's not a good dude. She's not going to live well and be happy. Bad shit's going to happen to her. So Hassan is very aware of that. But at the same time, when he says this, what he's saying is he wants to take over someone else's life. And for me, I was like, whoa, that's like, that's heavy. But I, I totally understood his intentions. And I do feel like they were noble. So what happens is EQ is like, cool, I kind of like this idea. You're a better king than this unconscious dude anyway. So he takes the unconscious real king, sticks him in like a wooden cart thing and carts him off into the countryside. And then when the real king wakes up and is like, you know, what the fuck? Like (laughs) you've taken me out of the palace. Like I'm the king. You can't just remove me whenever you want. And he goes down to a beach with EQ and you begin to understand, well, I think you have already, but for me, this was the moment it really hit home that you understand that there's a very deep and longstanding relationship between these two men in that EQ has been the real king's right-hand man. He has really supported him and has been very loyal to him. And there is friendship there. And what EQ does on this beach, it's a beautiful scene, like this beautiful, big, like the tides out, just these endless wet, you know, low tide sand and just this endless horizon. And the real king is just talking about the past and he's talking about the kind of king that he wants to be in the future. And he looks like fucking hell. He looks like he's like death himself. He looks so sick. Um, It's really distressing, actually, how sick he looks. And he's talking about the kind of king he wants to be and that he promises to do better when he gets back to the palace. He'll do better. But he doesn't go back to the palace because EQ gives him a drink and then the real king begins bubbling up blood out of his mouth and falls like onto the sand and very, very, very fucking slowly dies. It is such a distressing scene. It is so sad because I felt so sorry for this real king because he's kind of an antagonist. He's done some very bad shit throughout this drama. We've seen him as, you know, the worst version of the king. And Hassan is obviously this fantastic, good version. But I couldn't help but feeling so much pity for the real king. You know, he's this young man who has just gone through hell, whose father has hated him, who has just been treated terribly, who has also survived this mad war and been thrust into this position of extreme responsibility with no real support. Like, it's so sad. He's also had to potentially very legitimately make this awful decision to kill his little brother, this little boy. And like, I'd love to say with my modern mindset, like, well, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to kill his little brother. He could have not killed his little brother. But you know, in those days as a king, you would have known what that would mean 10 years later when your little brother was 15 or 20 and the kind of powerful men that would have formed a party around him and raised him up as their figurehead and they'd come at you. That's what they would do. They would usurp you. And that is essentially what happened to the real version of this man. You know, like he saw all this stuff coming. So I'm not entirely sure as much as a modern person, I don't like the fact that he murdered his little brother. As a man of that time, of that era, you know, I can kind of 
understand it. And I feel sorry for him because he was forced politically to do something that clearly he can't handle emotionally. And it has completely destroyed him. You know, he's turned to these whatever smoking druggy things that he's on and he's just become the worst version of himself. And yet there's a part of him that still dreams of this better future, of being a better king, of doing the right thing. And now the one man who he trusted has murdered him on a beach. And the worst thing about about it for me is that no one will even know that he's dead. No one will know or care, but no one will even know. So he just dies nameless, like a wisp, like nothing he ever did or lived even mattered. It was such a powerful scene. And I really didn't think the drama would go there. And I felt really weird about Minister EQ after this. I was like, Minister EQ is a murderer. We also find out that upon the real king's instruction, Minister EQ is the one who poisoned the little boy as well. So this guy is poisoned like a prince and a king at this point. And I'm like, is this guy a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Like, this is intense. But he's still kind of framed by the drama as a good guy. So anyway, that was the stuff I loved. I love that because I don't love it because it's good. <laughs> I mean, it's horrible and sad and terrible. But in terms of story and writing, it was unexpected to me. I was surprised that the drum went this dark and that it did what it did. So I really liked this whole scene. I thought it was just so powerful, but it led to everything that I then felt weird about and kind of didn't really work for me for the rest of the show, which I'm going to talk about now, which is the stuff that I didn't love. Okay, so here's my list. The stuff that I didn't love is just the entire fallout of the fact that the good guys murdered the king. And I know EQ is, I think he is sort of positioned like he's a good guy throughout this drama. He really wants to do right by the people of Joseon, Minister EQ. He wants to have the right man on the throne to you know, do the right thing by the country. But at the same time, he makes these massive, terrifying decisions that I couldn't help but feel weird about. Like he decided that Hassan was a better king than the real king. And he murdered the real king, even though they were friends. And yes, that king was a violent despot and I'm sure he would have done terrible things. But I just felt so squicky about it, like really uncomfortable about it. And then the thing that I guess really got me is now that the king is dead and Hassan chose to live this life, Hassan wasn't no, like at this point, he's not being forced to be the king. He wants to be the king. He wants to be the king and he wants the king out of the picture. So it begins for me to feel very, very insidious and malicious. You know, Hassan loves the queen and now he gets to be the king. And he gets to make the decisions that he wants to instead of having to do what the real king wants. And it is for me, I think the drama tries really hard not to make it weird. So, you know, obviously, you know, there's all these really romantic scenes between Hassan and Sobun and, you know, it's really swoony. They're in love. But the whole time I'm like, but he's not 
really your husband and he's pretending to be your husband. Like this is the point where I started to get squeaked out by the secret identity. And I think it was really interesting for me from a storytelling point of view to realize that secret identity as a trope for me as in a romance is top notch. I love it, but I only love it if the person who's got the secret identity is maybe being forced to do it because otherwise there is a real squeakiness to that deception, to that pretense that kind of puts a wedge into, you know, the the niceness of the romance, I suppose, um, which I really didn't like. And the thing is that the drama tries to pretend that Hassan didn't know the king is dead. Like, obviously, Minister EQ hasn't told him. He hasn't told him that, oh, by the way, I murdered the king. It's all good. <laughs> um, so the drama tries to pretend that Hassan, you know, he doesn't know. So it's fine. Like, it's totally fine that he chose to take over the king's life and have the king's wife for his own wife and, and live this life that wasn't his life because he doesn't know that the king's dead. Um, and so there's this whole scene where, you know, So Woon finally realizes the truth and it's, you know, the fallout is pretty intense, as you would imagine. She's pretty fucking upset about it, which is all great. I, you know, I liked the drama of it. But she finds out first that the king is dead, that the king passed away. They don't say, you know, Minister EQ doesn't tell her that, you know, oh, yeah, I murdered your husband. He's just like, oh, he just, you know, he just, he just died accidentally. Hmm, whoops. Um, so So Woon knows the king's dead. And when she confronts Hassan about, you know, the fact that he's fucking pretending to be her husband and lying to her, <laughs> she's like, you know, and now he's dead. And Hassan is really shocked. You know, he didn't know the king was dead. So he's like, what? What? The king's dead? But also I was like, Hassan, you stood in the, in the throne room you looked at the unconscious king on the floor and you said, I want to live his life. You said that to Minister EQ and then you knew that Minister EQ took that unconscious man and removed him from your vicinity. And clearly no one expects that unconscious man to ever return again. What did you think was going to happen to him? Like, did you really think that they were just going to put the king in like a nice room in an inn somewhere and let him live a happy, luxurious life and that the king was going to be cool with that and not want to come back and reclaim his life and his wife and his position. Like, I just thought it, it, the drama tried to keep Hassan's like hands without blood on them, tried to keep him innocent, but I could only interpret it as Hassan is a big idiot for not realizing that obviously the king had to be removed out of the picture permanently for him to take over that role. Like he's either an idiot for not realizing that, or he did know. And he did know <laughs> that this meant that a man was going to get murdered because of him, for him, so that he could do the thing that he wanted. And yes, the thing that Hassan wants to do is the thing that's the greater good for the whole country. And I can understand that Minister EQ makes that decision. You know, he chooses to get blood on his hands for the bigger picture, for the greater good. But I think for me, it kind of made me feel funny about Hassan himself because I don't think that's why he chose to do it. He is a better king. He does make better decisions. He's a better person. But that's not why he wanted to be king. He wanted to be king because he's in love with the king's wife 
And also, and yes, he wants to protect her. It's not a bad, weird thing that he's in love with her. That their romance is very true and sweet. And also because he wants to, you know, revenge his sister. So he does, I just couldn't help but feel like he, he kind of chose to murder someone. And I know he doesn't do it and he didn't know. But at the same time, I'm like, he's an idiot if he didn't know. I feel like he should have known. But I guess, you know, the drama tells us he didn't know. The other thing I didn't like is that when Hassan, from this point on, you know, he really is the king now. He has to be. And he's doing all his politics and he's trying to sort shit out with Sobun so that she loves him again. He's trying to, like, make the world a better place. And frankly, he totally fucking forgets about his sister. And I really didn't like that. I was like, he, he only asks about her, like, once or twice. And he isn't like hey, um, now that I'm the king and the danger's gone to do with the other king, I want my sister to be brought here. I want to see her. Or at least here's a big bag of money. Like, can you send that to my sister so she can live comfortably and not be a peasant anymore? Like, he just doesn't do anything. And it made me feel like, you know, his whole motivation for wanting to be the king is because of his sister. And the fact that he never even kind of thinks to help her in those practical ways or see her um, just made me feel squicky like all he really wanted was the king's wife and I know their romance was more legitimate than that and it isn't this malicious thing but it just kind of made it feel weird to me so I didn't love that fallout it made me like him less and therefore be less invested in him as the hero of the show I'm, I'm not sure I think that's probably all super super personal kind of reaction but I just felt squicky um so the other thing that I kind of didn't love about the second half of the drama as well is the main villain of this whole piece is the queen dowager um played by Jung Yong Nam who was recently also the baddie in, um, oh, that's a spoiler, but I always spoil things, I guess. Um, it's an, it's okay not to be okay. Spoiler. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, actually I won't say that. Um, so the, the queen dowager, you know, she is out to get the king. She is going to murder the fucking king. She wants that king gone. She hates his guts. And so she's very, very mean to him. And he's very mean to her. And they're having a battle of wills. They're both trying to survive. But the thing that's weird about it, right, is that the queen dowager only wants to destroy the fucking king because he killed her son. He murdered her little son, her child. Her child is dead because of him. So I couldn't help but feel you know, quite a lot of empathy for her. And I was like, isn't she doing the exact same thing that Hassan is doing in wanting to get revenge for his little sister's rape? Like he's going to the ends of the earth or, you know, he was for a while until he forgot about her going to the ends of the earth to destroy this family who did this thing to his sister. And yet the big villain of the whole thing is a woman who's just doing the exact same thing. So for me, the morals just got really muddy and blurred. And I, maybe that should be a good thing that I'm like, oh, you know, it's so, it's so conflicted and dark and who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? But I didn't love it because it just made me love I felt like the drama kept trying to tell me who were the good guys, but they weren't always doing good things. And the drama was trying to tell me the bad guys, but they were sometimes people that I really sympathized with. So, you know, except for the main bad guy, who was like a horrible, gross old man, but everyone else. So it was weird. And then 
I also didn't love that, you know, this horrible rapist that Hassan has begun this whole thing to try and destroy. You know, Hassan kind of, you know, he keeps getting one over this rapist and kind of humiliating him and stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know if it would be enough if I was him to just humiliate him in front of everyone. But he ends up like exiling this guy and he's he just exiles him to some island somewhere. And the guy doesn't even go. He just goes to some town. And I'm like, Hassan, you've just sent this horrible serial rapist of small children off into the wilderness to some port town where no one is going to control him or stop him from fucking raping everybody and you're cool with this and you never even think about it for ages like episodes and episodes afterwards I just felt I felt like he I felt like he lost himself (laughs) so he lost his I, I don't know I'm just ranting now but I I didn't like those things and they made me like him less um so what else um I guess the only other thing that I'll say that I didn't love about the show was I was kind of less interested in the politics in this show. You know, every single sagok you ever watch will have a whole bunch, or, you know, if it's a royal kind of royal court sagok, you know, you've always got these old dudes wearing, you know, the minister court outfits and all scheming. And it was just a weird experience for me, I think, watching the crown clown straight off the back of watching Hechi, which is another scheming political old men scheming to do stuff kind of um Saguk drama, but the difference is Hechi was very, very compelling. Like the politics in that was so interesting. I followed along, like I was just so into it, and I understood every twist and turn. I knew who all the everyone was. It was just, I think it was just presented that story so well. But I think in the Crown Clown, I just you know the politics didn't compel me as much and I kind of you know kind of lost interest a little bit in some of them they're not bad um but they weren't as good I suppose as Hechi and you just can't help but compare sometimes particularly if you've watched dramas back to back so I'm not really sure that that was the crown clown's fault um that was just me coming off something that I had enjoyed immensely and seeing this drama do some similar things but not quite as well so you know that's really again it's a real personal kind of thing um so I kind of feel like that might be it um so should you watch the crown clown if you haven't seen it if you haven't seen it um I guess I kind of spoiled oh no there was something else I wanted to say sorry guys I'm jumping all over the place there was one more thing that I didn't love that I wanted to mention um again it's a personal taste thing but I I really felt like Issei Yong's character the queen So Woon kind of I didn't love her character arc and it was an interesting one for me because I think it's very hard sometimes to find very compelling roles for women in historical dramas, like compared to guys, like guys can have, they, historically, they were just doing, I guess, more interesting things in, in the Joseon dynasty, like not all of them, obviously, but it was a lot easier for a man to go off and be a cool warrior or, you know, be a king or be a bodyguard or I don't know, do anything. And women, particularly noble women of that time, were considered to be, you know, not very important, were certainly not involved in political stuff or, you know, a little bit of scheming in the palace if you're the queen, but, you know, not like making decisions so much. Um, And also I felt 
like she's very restrained. You know, So Woon is a very good queen. Um, she's a very good noblewoman. You know, she is so constrained and graceful and elegant and quiet and very beautiful. And I really liked all that stuff. And I feel like it was very probably accurate to, you know, how a noble woman would have to be if she was going to be queen. And that's just like, gosh, just stuffing your emotions down deep all the time, holding yourself back all the time. Um, but as a heroine in a drama that is a made up drama that has doppelgangers and, you know, <laughs> poisonous murders and all sorts of mad things in it, I kind of felt like it would have been cool if she had a bit more to do maybe other than just be in love. But I guess, you know, Yo Jin Gu was really the star of this drama and he's amazing in it. You know, he really does well at these two polar opposite characters. Like he's an incredible performer. And I don't think it's Lee Se Young's fault. I think she's a great actress and I think she performed her role so well, but I just kind of wish there was a bit more to it. But again, you know, I, I get it. It's kind of hard. Like, what do you do with a queen? She can't she can't do so much, I guess. I don't know. I'm sure there's other dramas where queens do do a lot. So yeah, it was okay. It was, it was fine. <laughs> All right. I'm going to stop talking about this show now. Um, should you watch it? I, I, th I think don't let me put you off if you haven't seen it. Um, I think the first half particularly was very, very compelling, um, very exciting, very twisty, and just it really sucked me in deep, I suppose, with the conflict. I really, really liked it. Um, and then the second half I liked less for all of the reasons that I've already told you and won't go into anymore. <laughs> so that is my big ranty opinion on The Crowned Clown, uh, a 16 episode 2019 historical drama that was starring Yo Jin Gu and Lee Se Yong, among, you know, many other people. <laughs> uh, that's it. Okay, I'm done. So now it's time for my random thing of the week. Um, and I wanted to just talk very briefly about, it was really interesting for me because I picked up The Crown Clown and I literally started it back to back after watching a movie called Warriors of the Dawn, which is a Korean movie. I don't know when it came out. I can't remember. Not looking it up. Sorry. <laughs> so Warriors of the Dawn is about... Um, Crown Prince Gwang He at the very beginning of the Imjin War in like, what is it, 1952. So, sorry, um, 1592, <laughs> definitely not the other thing I just said. Sorry, guys. Um, so the 1500s, late 1500s. Um, and the interesting thing about Warriors of the Dawn is that Yo Jin Gu plays Crown Prince Gwang He. And of course, Crown Prince Gwang He is the person who becomes King Gwang He, who is the lead character, the mad disintegrating king of the crowned clown. So it was really, really interesting for me, particularly the opening scene of the crowned clown to watch that back to back with Warriors of the Dawn was weird. It was like, it was like watching the same character continuing onwards. And maybe, you know, maybe that's partly because I am interested in Crown Prince Guang He and his experiences during the Imjin War, where I think he really, you know, had to step up and, and as a very, very young man was given a huge amount of responsibility and named regent of the country by his father who hated his guts. And, you know, by all accounts that I can find, 
kind of hoped he might die a little bit during the war. <laughs> like, um, so I guess maybe that's why I felt so much pity for that character um, while watching The Crown Clown. So again, I think it's interesting to note that my opinions during these chats um, on this podcast are always very, very colored by you know, my opinions about other things or the things I've been watching or learning about, you know, there's such personal taste things, you know. Um, so Warriors of the Dawn is a really great movie. If anyone's interested, it's just kind of takes place over a few days. I really enjoy it. I don't know if it's like the best movie in the world, but I think it's a really, really interesting one. Um, and I've talked about that on my, I think I did. Yeah, probably. I reckon maybe I did. <laughs> on my um patreon exclusive podcast if i haven't then i will <laughs> i'm very confused at this point um but yeah so i do on my patreon i pop up uh extra exclusive patreon exclusive episodes there once a month um just talking about you know extra stuff korean movies that i've watched and just other things that i've been watching um so if you're interested you can check that out there um and also i would say you should potentially watch Warriors of the Dawn. Um, I thought it was really good. Um, and then that's it. I think I'm just rambling now. <laughs> uh, so now it's time for my something I'm loving section this week. And it's a bit of a weird one. Um, it's just that I really, really enjoy <clears throat> buying books and I recently picked up one. So I don't know if it's good or not yet. I probably should wait till I've actually read it before I talk about it. But I went to an op shop, uh, which is like, you know, a secondhand. We call them opportunity shops here, op shops. Uh, just, you know, a secondhand shop that has secondhand everything that you can think of, including books. And I found a nonfiction book, which I didn't used to really be into nonfiction at all. But lately I'm kind of finding it very interesting, particularly, I guess, in learning about different time periods. Um, but it's called Death in the City of Light by an author called David King. And the subtitle is The True Story of the Serial Killer Who Terrorized Wartime Paris. So it is a nonfiction book about a case that happened in the 1940s in occupied Paris, I guess. Preoccupied? Yeah, occupied Paris. So I just think it's really interesting. I, can't, I really like murder mystery stories. Um, I'm not sure about nonfiction ones. They kind of freak me out. Um, I, I haven't really tried that yet, but I guess maybe I will now that I've bought this book. But I'm very, very interested in the idea of telling a mystery, like a detective mystery or whatever, but against a backdrop of you know, a huge event, you know, for instance, Paris, occupied Paris, wartime Paris, but, you know, a smaller story about a mystery. So I guess in terms of my writing, I'm hoping to find this book inspiring, but also I'm a little bit nervous because I don't normally read true crime things. <laughs> I'm a bit creeped out. So we'll see how that goes. But I thought I would mention it just in case, um, you know, the concept of that book sounded interesting to anyone. And it was called Death in the City of Light by David King, the true story of the serial killer who terrorized wartime Paris. I don't know if it's good or not, but it certainly sounds interesting, if a little bit bloody squicky. Um, so I guess I'll let you guys know once I've read it. <laughs> So 
So this is the part where I say a massive, massive, huge thank you to all those people who are supporting me on Patreon. I so appreciate you guys. Thank you so very much. Um, if anyone is interested in checking out my Patreon, it is at Patreon, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Lee Evie. And I do now have two exclusive Patreon only episodes up there, which is very, very exciting. And I'll be doing another one towards the end of this month as well. Um, I also want to just say a huge thank you to all those people who do message me and email me. I super, super appreciate it. I love hearing your recommendations. I obviously can't watch everything. Um, it's becoming more and more impossible <laughs> to keep up with my to watch list. Um, but I really, really do appreciate the tips on the shows that you guys are enjoying and the movies as well. Um, and I've really, really discovered some gems because of those recommendations. So thank you all very, very much for doing that. I think it's very, very cool.